0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Chapter 5, and we're going to begin on this wonderful journey looking at chapters 5 through 7. And we're going to start with with chapter 5, and it's also known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's really the King's Sermon. And we are going to start with the things that are called Beatitudes. The first chapter 5 starts out with the Beatitudes. And we're going to look at every single one of them. And then we're going to start looking at one section at a time. I'm not going to preach verse by verse because that will take a very long time. And these Beatitudes, you know, I was studying and reviewing in late Warren risby Referred to Beatitudes as attitudes that are our to be. And really, that kind of sticks out to my head all the time. Now, instead of Beatitudes, I'm calling them Beatitudes, like the attitudes. And we're going to begin reading in chapter 5. And let's read all today all first 12 verses. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're vile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, I saw a comic strip. There was a Big dog looking at a small dog, and the small dog was chasing his tail. And the big dog said to the little dog, he said, what are you you doing? And the smaller dog said, well, I studied philosophy, and I believe I've mastered philosophy, and I also discovered the answers to problems of the universe. And I discovered what a dog's deepest need is. And the dog's deepest need is happiness. And he said, and I discovered that happiness lies in the dog's tail. And he said, that's why I'm chasing my tail. He said, if I get an upper hand or grab a hold of that tail, or hold it up, I shall be a happy dog. And the old dog looked at him and said, well, I have studied philosophy too, and I too thought and pondered on these things. And in some ways, I agree with you. So I think too, there's a good thing for... For a dog to be happy. Everybody likes happy dogs. And I too believe to some degree that happiness lies in the dog's tail. But I made a discovery, the more I chase my tail, the more it runs away from me. But when I forget about chasing it and go about my business, it always comes after me. And isn't it like that with happiness? The more we chase it, the more we pursue it, the more it kind of runs away from us. But when we go about our business and doing what the Lord Jesus Christ asks us to do, happiness seems to be following us. And for those that know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is happiness, there's joys, and that's what this world, blessed, means. And really, it's a hard word to be translated because it kind of describes us to be full of joy. If I look out, some of you this morning, I don't see full of joy. And you're probably looking at me and saying, I don't see full of joy on Cornet. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have an excuse. I'm a Russian Baptist. We never smile. But what Jesus really is saying here is God wants his people to live different. The Sermon on the Mount is the declaration of this king that expects his people to be different. And if you're a Christian, a citizen of God's kingdom, people should be able to see a difference in your life. And God doesn't want you to live the the life just like everybody else. And here, if you live your life this way, you will be happy. If you live your life this way, you will be blessed. And I always believed that the manufacturer knows more about the product than anybody else. And if I have a car... And I buy a car, the first thing I do is I look at the manual, right? I know how, where to stick the ignition, where to put different things, or maybe you purchased an appliance. I read that stuff. You know, we know it cools things, and, but there's other things it could do, right? You know refrigerators can be connected to your phone now, and it tells you the temperature, and if the door is open. There's other things that it could do if you read the manual. And it's amazing to me that the manufacturer of everybody who lives in this world, he manufactured everyone who is God, and yet very few people want to turn to him to find out how they best can know happiness. So we're talking about in these Beatitudes blueprint for happiness, blessedness. And the first one is found in verse 3. Look at it. It says, Blessed are the poor, poor in spirit, for theirs is kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is kingdom of heaven. You know, why does he begin with this? Jesus starts a sermon and he says these words. Because as you will see as we study through this, this is the fundamental characteristic of a Christian. It's the fundamental characteristic of being a citizen of kingdoms, heaven. Because all other characteristics flow from this one this is where everything starts this is where happiness begins this is the entrance into the kingdom this is where it begins and I want us to understand that these things are that the Lord Jesus is talking about is what we are not primarily what we have you know contrary to modern pre- preaching these days Everybody puts a more emphasis upon what you have. You have to have wealth, you have strength, you have power, you have knowledge—all those things, right? I'll start with the B: the bucks, the brains, the beauty, and that's what people think happiness is, blessedness is. And a lot of people, if you think about it, have these things, but they don't have joy, they don't have blessedness. And Jesus here is putting an emphasis again—not primarily what a man has but what a man is. And the very first characteristic, the quality, is the quality of poorness of spirit. And what he's really talking about is being a beggar. Being a beggar. It's kind of an upside-down kingdom type of stuff, completely contrary or opposite of what the world thinks. He's basically saying, blessed are beggars. How can you be blessed for being poor? You know, so I started looking at this word "poor," and there's more than one word that speaks of poverty in the Bible. Remember the example? There was a poor widow, put her two mites in the offering plate. We read that story in Mark 12, uh, verses 41-43. It says, "Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury, and who and many who were rich put in much." So the rich people gave a lot of money. They were putting in a lot. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which made quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said, I surely say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. So this widow was poor, but the thing is, she had two mites to give. At least she had that. That's one word for being poor, and that's not the word that's being used here in Matthew 5.3. The word that's being found here is, speaks of this kind of poverty where you are absolutely penniless. The man is absolutely nothing. And it's the same word which is used in chapter 16 of Luke. You know this story too, a story about Lazarus. And it says, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who has laid at his gates desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. He was so poor, he was lacking the basic necessities of life. He was absolutely penniless, And the word used here is beggar, not just a poor man, but he has absolutely nothing. And Jesus says, blessed is this kind of a person. Blessed, poor in spirit. Blessed are the beggars. And again, the world wouldn't say that. So that word poor means that you're a beggar. So I want to see the beggar in really our bankruptcy. Our bankruptcy. What does Jesus mean when he says, Blessed are the beggars, blessed are the bankrupt? Well, Jesus is not talking about your financial situation financial poverty he's not talking about that he's not talking about your bank statement your 401k and folks we need to understand too because sometimes i've been to churches where they say you know the poorer you are the more holier you are that's not true Uh, that's not talking about that the poor people are uh, more holier or blessed are the poor bible never puts a premium on being poor Uh, now we have to have compassion for the poor uh, many times poor people are rich in faith and uh, Bible teaches we ought to help the poor and Bible teaches we ought to give to the poor. And Proverbs 28:27 says, he who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. But we need to understand that never any place the Bible teach that material poverty is a blessing. If Jesus was talking about this material poverty, then our job is to make everybody else poor in the world and then also make ourselves poor and serve God that way. Does that make any sense to you? So Jesus Christ is not teaching about that. And um, honestly, Jesus Christ himself had many friends who were rich. And we know many characters in the Bible that were also rich and what we will call billionaires, right? If think of Abraham He would fall into that category. David was a millionaire. You know, maybe there's a multimillionaire, Solomon. So he's not talking about financial poorness here. He's not talking about also uh, frailty. He's not talking about who's this, you know, spiritual, anemic, wimpy, or gutless person. Or poor in spirit. Or poor spirited. There's people that have false humility. You ever meet those people? They're so humble that they want everybody else to know how humble they are. And he's not talking about this out, you know, there's people saying, oh, poor me, I'm no good, and all that kind of stuff either. They're kind of, that kind of a spirit. So he's not talking about that. He's not talking about people going around looking, you know, have those long saxophone face and looking like the um, cruise director on the Titanic. So he's not talking about those things. You know, in a matter of fact, when people fast, he warned people kind of this false humility in Matthew 6 and 16, in verses 16 through 18. He says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with sad countenance. For they disfigure they dis- their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that they do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So there's people that were fasting. You know, They wanted everybody to see how holy they are. There's this humility. This, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about being poor-spirited, but blessed, poor, in spirit. And you know, with our body, we have physical life. With our soul, we have what I call psychological life. And with our spirit, we have our spiritual life. And God is spirit, in verse 4, uh, 24 of John 4, says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And being poor in spirit, you see, before a person can enter into the kingdom of heaven, he must first admit that in his spirit, in his spiritual realm, no matter how much he may have materially or how popular he is in in the solar realm, in the spiritual realm, he's absolutely, totally bankrupt beggar before God. And if he doesn't see it, if we don't see that, we will never get into the kingdom of God. That is the first key. We will never get into the kingdom of God. We're bankrupt. And when you come to Jesus Christ, folks, we don't strut ourselves into heaven. There's no peacocks in heaven. None of, us belong, none of us deserve to be there. None of us. That's the reason that this character quality is put first. Now, some people in, you know, I've met people in this congregation, other congregation, well, Pastor, you're right. But I'm not perfect, but there's many good things about me, right? And when people say that, my response is typically, you're not yet bankrupt. You're not yet bankrupt. When you have that attitude, yeah, I know I'm not perfect, I got my faults, but on the other hand, you know, I have pretty good things about me, and you've never, you never seen yourself yet through the eyes of God. And all the good stuff about us, Isaiah puts it in this Way. And Isaiah 64:6 six says But we are all like unclean thing, and all our righteousness, all our righteousness are like filthy rags, will fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And we're going to see in this Sermon on the Mount later on that Jesus says that if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees outwardly you will not enter into the kingdom. Of heaven. And those people, those Pharisees were outwardly better than any of us here. Any man, woman, boy or girl that are sitting here today. And you know it am- amazes me as I was preparing for the sermon how much stuff I found how to be filled with something. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled all these positive books and I'd never seen a book How to Empty Yourself. How to become a spiritual beggar. Imagine the book of title, How to Be Nothing. Think that will sell? Maybe after I retire, I'll write one. How to be nothing. How to be a nobody. And you know, modern Christianity feeds on this pride, but the poverty of the Spirit, on the other hand, is the foundation of all graces, that everything comes out. So we're thinking of bankruptcy, but then comes brokenness because, you see, brokenness follows bankruptcy. We must discover and admit, when we see our bankruptcy, who truly Jesus is and who we are, who God is. When we understand who God is, it'll be a lot easier for you to understand who you are. For example, in the Bible we find sign of Peter. He was a aggressive type of fella. Take lead, charge, big fisherman. And somebody said he only the only time he opened up his mouth was to exchange feet. You know, he was always opening up his mouth, putting his feet and then changing feet. But one day, Peter had a glimpse the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what he said? We read in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He finally saw his bankruptcy, and he was broken. You know, another famous character in the Bible is Isaiah. If you read through Isaiah, especially chapter 5, he's blasting out the woes. Woe to this country, woe to this person, woe to those, woe to those, woe to those, woe to this sin, and so forth. But then when you get to chapter 6 and verse 5, he says, woe is me. Woe is me. For I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Poorness of spirit. You know, there's a Bible. In the Bible, there's a woman from Canaan. She was a pagan woman. And she had a daughter who was demon-possessed. And she wanted Jesus to heal her. Here, her demon-possessed daughter. And she went to the Lord Jesus Christ. For some hope. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to bring her to her brokenness, said some disturbing things. I think if he preached this way today, he wouldn't uh, uh, get very far in his preaching. And it is in Matthew 15, verses 22 to 26. And it reads thus, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. So he's ignoring her. So she keeps bugging him. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Can you imagine if he was here today and somebody's coming up to him and he says, I only came to these fine people here in Ohio. You're from that state up north. Can't do this. And then she came and worshipped and saying, Lord, help me. She kind of ignored what he said. And he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. In effect, he was calling her a dog. Can you imagine if a pastor calls somebody a dog these days? It doesn't sound very good. And that woman, you would think she would have gone off and huffed and said, I've never been, you know, everybody's talking about how compassionate he is and how many... Miracles—he performs. Some religious leader he is, right? Man of compassion. That that love is love, love to everybody. But she didn't say that. But what she said was, "You're absolutely right. I am from that state up north." And if you look at Matthew 15:27, said, and she said, "Yes, Lord." Yet even the little dogs eat crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. What happened to this woman? Same thing that happened to Peter. Same thing that happened to Isaiah. They became poor in spirit. They became beggars in the sight of the righteous and holy God. And these beggars in the sight of a righteous and holy God, what happened? They got exactly what they wanted. You know, another character in the Bible that was hard for him to see himself as bankrupt was Apostle Paul. And we talked about him briefly last Sunday. Paul was, first of all, he had the right birth. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. He ran with the right society, with the Pharisees. Thirdly, he also had Roman citizenship. A lot of people that day tried to buy it and couldn't. He had it. Next, he had the best education that money could buy. He had triple PhDs. He spoke many different languages. He was a world traveler. He was cultured. He was keeping the Jew- Jewish laws as, you know, as exactitude that was ma- amazing But one day he caught a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we talked about it last Sunday. He said, I I had counted all these things that I counted on, they're loss. He took them from the asset side of the ledger and put them all on the liabilities. He says, all these things are nothing. I was depending on these things. I count them for nothing. He was spiritually bankrupt and became a beggar in the sight of God. And when you discovered this, that all these things that you depended on are worthless. You get a different dependency. You don't start or depend on the things you depended on before. You don't depend on your natural birth, you know, when your parents might have been, or family lineage that you come from. You might be family, finest family in the city, but that's not going to count a judgment. And I sometimes talk to people and ask them if they're a Christian. And, you know, sometimes, well, my mama was a Christian, my deacon, my daddy was a deacon, and so forth. And they start talking about how their lineage of Christians. But the thing is, God has children, but he has no grandchildren. Are you born again? Are you his son or daughter? I'm not asking about your relatives, your father or mother. You know, there was one particular rich man in the area, and he turned 98 years old not too long ago. Very good man. Does very good things with his financial success that he had. But he still doesn't understand what being poor in spirit is. And I try to explain things to him, the opportunities I had to speak with him. But he just says, I'm not a bad person. Everybody has faults. I'll do a lot of good with my money and so forth, and then sense again, he's right, but it's all worthless in the eyes of God. He says, "Why isn't it worth anything? Because you're full of pride. you're relying on earthly things, on things God's given you to get you into heaven. You know, there are plenty of good people in hell. You know that? There are plenty of good people. And you know, I shared with him, and I said, "When you die, and I shared with you before the statistics on death, right? All the scientists got together and they did a study and they discovered that one out of one persons will die. And when you do, you may have a big funeral, have a lot of cars, Cadillacs, BMWs parked up front. They may utilize you and say how great you are in the community, all these great things that you did, but you will be in hell before the undertaker even knows that you were even dead. And Billy Sunday said, I like this phrase, says, you can't take it with you, and if you could, it would melt where some of you are going. And there's a lot of people sitting in church with this false sense of security. You know, there's a particular church that it talks about in the book of Revelation, Laodicean Church. And let me tell you about this church it was a wealthy congregation talks about how much gold they had. It talks about how much nice black wool they wore and so forth. It talked about how expensive, how valuable the industries were around them and so forth. Have you, anybody seen a, a show, Flip Wilson's, uh, Church of What's Happening? You can Google it, Google it later. But that's the kind of church it was. It was a place to go. was the crowd. It was cream of the cream. All the elites went in there and, you know, it was the spot. And Jesus Christ does an analysis of this church as they drove their Mercedes-Benz chariots and everybody had all their VIP parking. And he says, I wish you were hot and I wish you were cold. I wish you were coffee or iced tea. But he says, you're lukewarm. Anybody ever go to a coffee shop and order lukewarm coffee? No, you get a hot coffee or you get an iced tea, right? Right? Either or. You don't want lukewarm. And Jesus says of this church that was extremely blessed with all this stuff, yet it made him throw up. He talked about, I want to spew you out of my mouth. I look at your church services, I look at your congregation, I look at everything you do, and you make me want want to vomit. Look at what he says in Revelation 3, verses 17 and 18. Because you say, I am rich, become wealthy, and have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. Self-reliance, relying on their things, they have no poorness of spirit. And he tells them, but you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor. How are they poor when they're saying they're wealthy? And then he says, you're also blind and naked. And then he tells them in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be not revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyes solved that you may see. They failed. This entire church failed to see their bankruptcy. And what are we depending on? Folks, sometimes we do the same thing, depend on our savings accounts, Depend on our education. And I'm telling you, it's not Corneille saying these words to you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his sermon. It says, blessed are those who are spiritual beggars. And, folks, we need to understand that God has no problem with giving people stuff, but God does have a problem when using this stuff. You start to measure your spiritual status. You know, we say money talks, right? And Proverbs 23, 20, uh, verse 5 says this, Will you get your eyes on which is not? For the riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away like an eagle towards heaven. They make themselves wings. Money talks. I don't know about your money, mine always says goodbye. Always makes themselves some wings and flies away. And when a man sees his braincript in the sight of God then he ceases to depend upon all those things and cannot help him or do him any good whatsoever. Jesus gave a parable in Luke 18, in verses 9 through 14. I think most of you know it. It's about the tax collector and the Pharisee praying together. And it says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and despised other. Now pay attention, so you can see why he counts himself righteous. The two men up the temple to pray: one Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed, thus with himself: "God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector next to me. I." I twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to the heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, The Pharisee relied on the things that he was doing, the things that he had. He was righteous. But behind all of it, failed to see, is this wicked sin that all of us have. It's called pride. I, I. And the second thing he did was he compared himself to someone else, which is a false standard. We talked about that a little bit last Sunday. What, do you, what is he comparing to himself to? This tax collector. Well, is that the standard? What is the standard? In Matthew 5:20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, he's talking about their external righteousness, because we know that on the inside they were rotten. And how much does it have to exceed this external righteousness? if you read verse 48, Jesus says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's how much it exceeds it. And is there anybody here today or anybody that you know of that can say, I'm just as perfect as God? Absolutely not. But that's the standard. Do you see that? If we use that standard, if Pharisees use that standard, do you think you'll would have said those words I'm not as this tax collector no because he would have saw himself as bankrupt and the standard that god demands can only be met through the anointing death of the lord jesus christ and as the righteousness of god is imputed to you but we'll never know righteousness we'll never achieve this perfection that is given through the lord jesus christ till we first of all understand exactly what you are inside of a righteous, and a holy God. And again, most of us need to stop measuring ourselves by some false standards. Most of us, like this Pharisee, we find somebody that we're better than in church. Hopefully, you know, we'll pick on some kind of hypocrite that we know of and say, well, I'm better than him. You know, sometimes people say, I don't want to go to church because there's a lot of hypocrites there. Do tell. We've got room for One more. I mean, one of the apostles was a hypocrite. One of the twelve. But the standard of the Almighty God is be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And all of us are beggars in the sight of the righteous and the holy God until we lay that pride aside, we need to do that in in, in we need to lay it aside in the dust. You know, when I was in <clears throat> excuse me, Oakland, California one day. It was not a pretty sight. I worked for Kaiser Permanente, and they sent me downtown Oakland for training. Boy, so many homeless people. Folks, I just just wanted to walk around downtown to look at it, but I saw a homeless man eating out of the trash can. He's not even picking food out of the trash can. He's sticking his head, and he's eating from the trash. And as you walk, there's, you know, mothers with babies and so forth, and they are asking for some money to do it for the baby. And so, and I was looking at these people and you just feel so broken hearted, one. But then you see that they lost all this pride. There's no pride. They lost all this shame. And you know, that's in a sense how we have to lay our pride in our, those kind of things spiritually away, if that makes sense what I'm saying. Because, you know, Sometimes people say, well, I want to come to God, but I don't want to go in front of the church or share my testimony or share, you know, that I need God. And one of the greatest examples that I had, and I was first, I was kind of mad about this, but then I figured out what the pastor was doing. We were at a conference, a youth conference, and, you know, they had the altar call at the end, you know, every, every night and so forth, and this girl next to me wanted to accept Christ as lord and savior and the pastor came around and he said you got to go up front she's like why can't i just do it from up here Says, because you got to go up front if you want to be saved you got to go up front she didn't want to go up front says well then you can't be saved the second night he did the same thing you want to go up front she said no and the third night she was crying and so forth and he said you want to go up front she said, yeah, I'm ready to go up front. She said, well, you don't have to because you can be saved back here. You see, that shame that we need the Lord Jesus Christ, That because in Matthew 10, 13 says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We need to lay all that pride aside. She didn't want to go up because what will people say about her? What will people say or what will people, you know, look at her? Will they judge her? All those people just laid all that stuff aside. All that pride. Do not. We're spiritual beggars. You say, boy. Downer message, right? Cornet is good at those. But the thing is, it's not a really a downer message. It's an upper. Because Jesus is not saying this is the way to misery. This is not the way of devastation. He says, this is the way to blessedness. Why is it such a blessing? Well, it's the only way you're going to get into heaven. In Isaiah 57, 15, we read, For thus says the Lord, highly and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high place of holy place, with him who is contrite and humble of spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You see, this is the reason that it's, this poorness of spirit is up front, because it's the foundation of all other blessings. And if you don't have this key, it doesn't make any difference at all. Because Proverbs 16, 5 says, every proud heart is abomination to the Lord. And James 4, 6, which is a corresponding message, says he gives more grace, therefore God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And folks, we will never really live spiritually until we admit that we are dead spiritually. We're completely bankrupt, and sometimes we don't see that. We say there's no sin in us, and Pharisees said the same thing. And we're reading in the book of John 9, verse 41, Jesus says to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore, your sin remains. So why does Jesus Christ begins with this? Again, because it's the beginning. It's humility, poverty of the Spirit. And what's the result? Look at 5.3 again. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven are you really poor yours is the kingdom of heaven you know i'm not a good salesperson and one time i went on a sales when i worked for a collections agency went on sales and these customers potential customers were bragging about their houses and so forth that they had one in florida and one in colorado one owned a ranch and they asked me like how many you know i think they were trying to put me down you know one of those people and I said, oh, yeah, I have three homes myself. I got two in Ohio. I lived at Worthington at the time. said in area Worthington. And I got one in Vesterville. And then I'm building one in Jerusalem. It's a suburb of, it's actually called New Jerusalem. And my boss walks in. And he says that the, this was my first time traveling. And he said, rule number one, never lie to your clients. I said, what are you talking about? said, you lied to him about all those houses. I know how much I pay you. you got no houses. And I said, look, the house in Worthington is where my wife and I live. The house in Vestero is my church house. Our family gathers there all the time. My retirement home is being built in Jerusalem. Lord Jesus Christ said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's building my house up there. The kingdom of heaven, it's for the poor-spirited. It's mine, it's yours. And it turns out we're not that poor at all, are we? And not just in the future millennium, it's right now. You're citizens of the kingdom. The reign of Christ is now, happiness is now. In the kingdom of heaven, when Christ is ruled, there's that future messianic aspect of it but it's also right now you possess the kingdom everybody got a retirement villa over there if you're in christ if you're poor in the spirit if you're his subject he takes care of you he gives you what you need he fulfills your every need not want and one day you will experience the fullness of that and god will wipe away every tear every sorrow every sickness sadness and you're going to be fully in that blessedness kingdom. And that's the way we have to come to God. Totally bankrupt. You know, sometimes reading about hymns, you're, and I am want to know how, why they were written and so forth. Obviously, sometimes the music is written with certain things that are going on in people's life. And there was this lady. She was a beautiful lady. She was charming. She was gifted, and she played piano. And crowds came, and Told her how sweet she was, how beautiful she was, how good of a piano player she was. But there was a preacher that night, and I think we might get him related. He approached the lady and said, You have charm, you have grace, you have beauty, but if you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just as lost as all those harlots on the street of London. And she was insulted. She was insulted. She didn't see this poorness of spirit in her. She's somebody. She tried to laugh it off. She couldn't. She couldn't sleep all night. And in the morning, she finally saw the poorness of spirit and accepted the Lord as her Lord and Savior. And that lady, Charlotte Ayer, wrote that song that most of you know, just as I am. If you heard of Billy... Grand Crusade, they always played that song at the end. And that's the way she came, just as I am, without one plea. You come as a beggar. And, friend, that's the only way you can come to God. And Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That verse opens the door to the kingdom. And in Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrived spirit. Without poorness of the spirit, folks, no one, no one enters the kingdom of heaven. And God has gladly chosen to give his kingdom to those who humbly come to him, trust him, those who come to the Lord with the broken hearts. But when you come to him, with a broken heart. You're not going to leave with a broken heart. And those who realize they have nothing, and once they gain Him, they gain everything. And how can we be poor in spirit? Folks, get your eyes off yourself, off those things that you have. Get your eyes off everybody else that you've been comparing yourself with and compare yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will have poorness in spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for giving us the opportunity to gather in your house with our brothers and sisters. And we pray if there's anybody here that does not know you, Father, that you help them realize that they're bankrupt without you. And there's no way, no other way to enter the kingdom of heaven without this key. That we are spiritually totally depended on you. And Father, I also pray that this study will be a blessing to all of us, including myself, as we study your sermon and keys to the kingdom. And as we leave this place today, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.